The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. I'm Joe Costello, and it has been amazing to see the response that we are getting to these episodes. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you guys are writing reviews, and we appreciate it. We're seeing the numbers skyrocket as we speak with some of the greatest engine builders on the planet. And on this episode, we're going to speak with someone who just had a major milestone in land speed racing, Kenny Duttweiler, the engine builder on George Petit's Speed Demon Streamliner, just broke a longstanding record with the Speed Demon, and we're going to speak with him on the program. Of course, my co-host, Mr. Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales for Total Seal, is here to join me, Keith I am super excited about this one. Yeah, this should this should be great. Uh, you know, Kenny's been doing this forever. Uh, he's a legend in the industry. I'm sure he'll have a, a, a lot of nice little insights and tips for everybody. And it's it's just great to have him on the show. I was blown away uh, by the performance. Not unexpected because I know what this man does. Uh, but to see those numbers and to see how everything came together up in Bonneville, uh, absolutely stunning and. And we'll just say, and knowing Kenny, there's more up his sleeve. There always is. The publicity that they were able to get with this record, pretty amazing. Bonneville is really intense with the hardcore fans. This one broke through. And the fact that we have him on Hidden Horsepower, not that far after this major milestone, that's a big deal for the show. Just talk a little bit, Keith, about the significance of what goes on out there at Bonneville. It's it's one of those places. I'll say this, and, and I, you know, Kenny's going to want to hit me and hate me, and everybody will. I've I've been there, but I've never been there. I've actually stood on the salt, looked out. I was a week early. Uh, I have family up that direction, and I was up visiting, and I it was I knew Speed Week was coming, so I've stood on the salt. They were preparing the salt. I'm looking at the salt, but I've I've never been there to the actual event, and it is one of those things I I, I truly dearly want to do and is on my bucket list but it is you know it is where drag racing began you know i mean this is this is where it all started you look at the guys that are still going there this this is the hardcore elite that have been there forever you know there's no accolades there's no money there's 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 they don't get the presence they don't get what they deserve for sure and and what they have to go through and the pioneering and the innovation is just incredible. Like I said, and it's where drag racing began. This is where it all started. This is the, you know, this is where the hot rod started. Uh, so it's just an, an awesome thing to see what these guys did. And as you stated, it broke through. It, it's made it into the public eye, you know, just like it did back in the day with, you know, with, with Goldenrod and Craig Breedlove and, you know, all the legends that were, where it actually broke through and, and people took notice. Amazing stuff. Now, you should have never admitted that you had not been to the, uh, it's okay, though. It's okay. We're going to let Kenny attack you a little bit, though. So let's bring on our guest of honor on this edition. And uh, the glow of victory probably still surrounding him, Mr. Kenny Duttweiler. Welcome to Hidden Horsepower. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be here. So, what about Keith having not been on the on at Bonneville for Speed Weeks? What is what does that say? Well, you know, he's just part of a, a, a huge group of people that admit that that's on their bucket list. And I mean, we we get that 
constantly. And we'll get you know, people in the industry that that have never been, and you know, they it, now that it's started to gain some notoriety. I think you know it's um, it used to be kind of a hidden feature thing, and nobody really paid much attention to Bonneville. Now we got guys sitting there watching the the postings for the speeds, you know, during the week and stuff. So it it's gotten a lot more popular, and so. Um, for most people, uh, you know, a couple of days at Bonneville would just about satisfy anything they need to do because it's uh, it the cars are not right in front of you. You you watch a car go down the course, it's going to be a fair distance away, so you get to hear it and watch it go by. Kind of hard to judge the speed on most of those cars because there's not, nothing out there that's there to reference off of. No telephone poles, no trees, no uh, markers of any kind that you could really relate to. So. It, but it, it's um, it's a lot it's a lot different way of going racing. Um, it didn't take me long to figure out it was a five mile drag race, and that was one of the most important things I think is to you know you got to look at how much they give you to play on, and it's five miles, so you got to do your do your best and, and try to use as much of that five as you get. Very interesting. So, so Keith is not a bad person for having not been there. That being the case, I, too, will also admit I have not been there. It is on my bucket list. Maybe, Keith, you and I will go together. We'll do, like, live on-the-scene hidden horsepower or something. But it's always been fascinating. And you mentioned a resurgence. Why do you think that is, Kenny? Oh, you know, probably uh, so much stuff on the Internet today. You know, you know, they didn't have the Internet when they started. They didn't have any means of communication if there's any postings it might have been a month later so now it's it's gained a lot of popularity and uh, you know the magazines have helped promote it a lot uh, auto magazines have been a, a, a big promoter of it as far as we can see uh recently released magazine article was uh, a complete to the detail engine build of the big engine that was in a streamliner and it's it's kind of this it's just kind of like gaining momentum you know we see people uh, in all forms of the industry that are watching it now because it uh, if you do well and you and you you know the obvious fact is to do well there you have to be able to run more than just one pass and um, so reliability of the components you use the manufacturer can point to the fact that yeah he has my product in there you know and it's done well so it's I think this all kind of comes together. Uh, there's uh, you can go on YouTube and see quite a few videos on YouTube now, and this this all helps make it gain popularity. So just so everybody understands, in case you haven't already followed the story to this point, Speed Week 2020, the record of the two-way average was 470.015 miles per hour. The one-way in the last mile, the flat-out speed record was 481.576 miles per hour. This is with a big-block Chevrolet twin-turbocharged 35 to 36 pounds of boost. Tell us whatever else we need to know about this project before we let Keith Jones pepper you with a couple of questions. Okay, well, introduction to how we ended up with the big block in the Streamliner. We formerly had used uh, small block 9-inch deck stuff because that car is pretty narrow. The frames, upper frame rails are tucked in pretty tight, and uh, we literally couldn't fit most typical billet-headed big block engines in it uh, without cutting the car up. So... We had an opportunity to to, to drop a, an engine in the car with some Dart uh, Pro 120 degree heads on it, and we could make it fit. So that 
that got the whole thing started. And then uh, uh, a trip to the PRI show a couple of years ago, I went on a shopping mission there to, to try to round up as much as I could in the way of parts. But the, the interesting thing is, this is probably a more conventional engine build in terms of the fact that it's a dart um, big M block. It's a dart cast head. Um, the crank obviously is Kelly's billet crank, but that's you know that's part of the form there. We have our rods made in Sweden by uh, Stefan Stefan Verdi, and uh, we just kind of picked our way through the, the parcel list. Uh, David Visner built the intake for it. Uh, Steve Watt and his crew, the guys that built the car, they got together uh, with uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the company, uh, company out of Australia, Bill Zinnerkrul Cords. Anyway, they come up with a pretty good intercooler, so we end up with packaging this thing um, to get it in the car and being a conventional big block let's say in, in most regards the horsepower number was probably already a pretty much a known value that with those promod 88 uh, the second generation version they're good for about 3400 horsepower and uh, we were able to do some stuff on the dyno of just under 3200 without trying to kill it and uh, the torque numbers that it generated were huge, so it was easy to to make some speed without a lot of boost, I guess would be the best way to put it. And uh, we built the whole car around the engine, basically in terms of the mentality for the the gearing, uh, principally the, the gearing in the rear end, which is uh, 154 final drive, which is pretty pretty tall gear. And Craig Liberty's seven-speed transmission in it. Um, so the, the seven-speed was kind of a, a gift because we needed a, a gear to pull away from the push truck without having to push the thing for a quarter of a mile. So we figured, well, hell, if we had a six-speed and a low first gear, we could accomplish everything we needed. He was able to give us a seven-speed. And so our, our low gear is low enough that the it, it will accelerate away from the push truck at about 35 miles an hour. So it, um, that's about three to 400 feet. 500 is about the most distance. So we've literally capitalized on almost the full five miles on that part of it. But the fuel management system, uh, the technology that's in that thing is mind-boggling. I mean, it, uh, with the Motec M150, Shane's managed to combine a whole bunch of stuff into what the dash does and what the ECU does. And we'll look at probably a hundred channels of information after a run. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to run that car without testing, but so we do our testing at the track. We, so we just learn a lot at that speed week because we don't, we can't go out two weeks before and test. And uh, so usually we'll take a couple of runs to get things sorted out but uh the the thing about it is it is it can't be done without a huge team and uh you, the concept on the engine basically is it's got to be um, pretty rugged in terms of you know the connecting rods and that thing weigh a lot compared to what most people would associate with it and the pistons are really robust and managed to score some head gasket sealing stuff there between uh, some of these aftermarket flame hoops, they call them, and, and uh, Keith having made me uh, literally a piston ring that we use to replace the O-ring in the block. 
the benefit was it's 60,000 tall instead of uh, 41,000. So uh, some of these things have improved the, the durability, and that the biggest thing there is the keeping the engine cool. I mean, you can uh, if you steam the water or get the water hot in the engine, if and it does steam, it'll usually take a head gasket with it. And sometimes you not really sure what caused the head gasket to fail, but as we worked our way through the small block stuff, we figured it out pretty quickly. You just have to move a lot of water through that motor. And, I mean, uh, we put water in the bottom, we put water in the top, and uh, that's even true of the big block. And the, the big block, one of its big benefits is the water flow in the head is much better than it is, say, with, the, like, the uh, small block stuff because of, the fact that they were generally made for drag racing and they had a lot of material inside the head and not a lot of, lot of area for water flow. But uh, this big block head is pretty darn conventional. And uh, I don't know, we're talking to an engine builder this morning and he's, he's kind of laughing about the fact that it's nothing exotic. It's an over-the-counter block. It's a cast cylinder head. And uh, when you think about it, I guess that is a pretty good combination of the, of the engine itself and, and the parts we used. Very interesting. The Shane you referenced, Shane Tecklenburg. Keith, jump in here, talk about Total Seal's involvement. This is obviously a, a major story. And here in Kenny, just like list the people that are involved, you know, Liberty Transmissions, et cetera, to make this thing happen. It's a who's who of motorsports. Get in there, Keith. Yeah, again, I want to thank Kenny, uh, you know, for, you know, we've worked together for years. And, you know, one of the things that he had mentioned, and a lot of the guys that I, I work with that are going to Bonneville, I, I see them. And it's one of the things he touched on that a lot of people just don't realize that it's got to be built like a brick poop house. I mean, it really does. It's, it's, you know, flyweight, lightweight, you know, ultra thin, all these things. It, guys, it's got to go five miles. This is a long way to go wide open throttle. This is, this is a lot of heat, a lot of torture, just a, a brutal, brutal environment. And like Ken had mentioned, us building, you know, the head gasket ceiling hoops. You know, we needed to build something bigger, taller, something to get more bite into the gasket area. Uh, you know, we do gapless top rings on this thing. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask Kenny is, is what kind of end gaps you've got to run. You run that kind of, you know, heat and, and you know, duration. You've got a lot of thermal expansion in that engine, things like he was talking about how much water it's got to move to keep this thing cooled down. Uh, so you've got to run a very tough top ring. We've got to run a lot of end gap. Hence, the gapless ring comes into play so it doesn't have the blow-by problems. Uh, and, the, you know, things that he touched on, that just the packaging of the whole car. I've seen, you know, the, the, you know, the views of the car with the body off, and it's just amazing. There, I don't think you could squeeze a penny in between anything on that car. It's so packed in there. Uh, it, it's an amazing achievement that these guys have done and a big group effort. But from a ring point of view, uh, what I see is it's, it's just got to be durable. It's got to be, you know, we've got to build it tough. It's got to handle a lot of abuse, and we've got to keep it, you know, the blow-by under control on that thing because it's a beast. A couple of interesting facets there. You know, one is that that ring you made me, and then subsequent to that, we made the ring bigger and just cut it and then put it in and in-gapped it like you would a uh, piece of O-ring wire. And that was even mm-hmm. better yet because you didn't have to be so uh, on on your, your diameters. But uh, the top ring... We've we've done some stuff. Uh, I think you suggested at one time we took a forty-three thousandths top ring and made it gapless, so that gave us essentially what about twenty-two thousandths of contact. Mm-hmm. 
on the ring contact, and that that particular engine would pull 16 to 18 inches of vacuum with the turbos off the engine, and it pulled 10 inches of vacuum at 2,000 horsepower. So, so much for the <laughs> the fact we did have a a, a, a 42,000 ring as far as the ring itself, but but the actual contact face was way you know, it was half of that, and uh, that was pretty amazing to see them seal up that well. It's uh, the, uh, we've never run anything but a gapless top ring at Bonneville, and you know we get very little fuel dilution. Uh, you will get some on a run, but not a lot. And uh, so for that point, uh, the fact that we're keeping the pressure out of the pan, I think it's a real good deal. Kenny, there was a point in the, there was a point in in the uh, event that you guys burned a piston, and that was well covered in the media. And you guys had to do kind of like a field triage and uh, rebuild the engine. And I immediately thought about the total seal piston rings. We've heard from Keith and many of our guests on Hidden Horsepower about you know rings, and and when you pull it apart, you can put them back in. What do you do in a situation like that where you're in the field, you're swapping out a piston, you're trying, you're up against the clock. Uh, you guys were able to to field hone it uh, out there, which is just insane. You can see some photos with some sandpaper and stuff. Tell us a little bit about that swap and what did you do with the piston ring? Well, it's kind of interesting on that one because we were going to actually set that engine aside and put the uh, the 443 inch LS motor in, which is almost as fast. So in the meantime, since naturally when you burn a hole in a piston and uh, you know you blow oil everywhere, so. It, they were on the detail to clean up the uh, the car and replace some of the wiring that got burned. And so, just for the heck of it, uh, Chris Vosky decided he'd pull the head off, and there was a hole in the middle of the piston, and uh, the cylinder wall wasn't hurt hardly at all. So a bunch of them jumped on, and uh, I had spare pistons and rings and tins with me, so we just put it back together and... Chuck Jenks was there with a file and the rings, in gap in the rings with a file. <laughs> which is, I felt sorry for him <laughs> on that one. But uh, got it back together. Uh, they hadn't completely finished cleaning up the car yet, so the LS engine was still sitting on, on the ground. So we just put the big block back in it. And essentially what had happened, and, uh, you know, I guess you could, you're going to have to assume that on an engine with a plenum on the manifold and blowing air in and valves opening and closing it in different sequences, uh, some runners are going to get more, either more air or some reversion. If the boost, especially if the boost is a little on the low side, it, the the actual crossover pressure on overlap could be 50, 60, 70 pounds maybe, whereas uh, pressure in the runner is only, say, 25 or 30. So there's a possibility you can get some reversion, but some, some sequence of events allowed that cylinder to be leaner than the rest of them. And uh, if you went on what was happening in the runner, and you based it on air, we were getting more air in that runner because the fuel is a fixed value. So the only way you go lean is if you, you know, you don't put, you know, if you put more air in it, make more power on that cylinder. But at the end of the day, the solution was really, really simple. We just added 10% more fuel to that runner and then uh, made it seven more passes. And, you know, the old bottle brush on thing worked pretty good because um, you could look at the plugs after a run and you know there was no evidence of any oiling or anything on the plugs they were just kind of bleach white so you know maybe sometimes it makes you wonder if you try too hard on the home job than the shop you know <laughs> you look at the, what we did in the you know some 400 grit sandpaper on a ball home but um it uh it pays to take spare parts we take plenty of spares i mean we have 
we go prepared. We have uh, in one trailer we have a Healy Arc and a TIG, or Megan a TIG, I guess you could say. We have um, a Brown Miller uh, hose maker. We've got hose. We've got fittings. ARP gives them one of those pit boxes full of bolts, nuts, washers, stuff like that. Uh, we have plenty of tires mounted. We have chop saws and you know cleaning tanks. We 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 go like we're going to be in business there for a while, and uh, and it really pays off because it allows you to do stuff like that. We have the ability to take an engine up out of the trailer and slide it out on a boom and drop it down in the car. We don't have to use a cherry picker and roll around on the salt. So we've we've really streamlined the operation over the years, and it's uh, it's it's worked out pretty good. But that that engine rebuild deal is not not un, unusual. Uh, we've because you know we have generally spare cylinder heads and plenty of head gaskets and stuff and uh, we oh we just to verify that the fuel that the burn piston deal wasn't a an injector related deal we have a, a pretty elaborate flow bench that we've made up using some of our leftover motec stuff like the dash and the the m800 ecu so so we, we built a flow bench with that stuff and the first thing that happens is those two injectors come out and get flowed and uh, they were right on target with all the rest of them. So uh, they just simply come down to we, you know, we had a lean condition in that one cylinder. Keith, jump in here with a question. Well, well, I was going to say with you know, is kind of like the old Boy Scouts motto, you know, be prepared. And you know, that's exactly what these guys go to Bonneville, and and, and it's you know not a place you're just down the street and can make a quick phone call to Summit and have a delivery this afternoon. Uh, you know, they go up there with such a specialized vehicle. I can only imagine it. You know, they probably go up with an entire parts warehouse uh, full of stuff because where else are you going to get it? But, uh, you know, to touch on the honing thing real quick, uh, you know, it, it's funny. The ball hone gets a bad rap. I, I am a ball hone advocate. I think they work very well. I think they're very hard to screw up. I get guys that, you know, and, and we're honing people. We're big on cylinder finish. We're big on getting the numbers right. Uh, I'm I'm standing here looking at. Hang on one sec here, folks. Two, four, six, eight. I'm looking at ten brand new profilometers sitting in my office that just came in. Uh, so we're big on the measured numbers, but a way to get those things is the ball hone. They really do work well. Uh, they're a great field tool. Uh, a lot of guys use them in the shop. So don't ever don't laugh at the ball hone, folks. They work. <laughs> it just you know it just seems like it's a little bit of a junkyard approach but you know at the end of the day we didn't really care because if it only if it just sealed that hole up if it wasn't perfect we never did use all the horsepower so we the, the cool thing about a boosted engine is that some of the technologies that that people worry themselves sick over uh, on an na motor you don't have to really consider it really much because you always have something left in the bank i mean if you need to make another couple hundred horsepower you know, it's just more boost and uh, the only thing that you can run out of is the ability to make more boosts. So uh, we've even looked at next year's program will include some 94 millimeter turbos for the big block. And uh, but the fact that the 88 millimeter turbos are fairly big and you know they're the NHRA Pro Mod size. My 256 inch small block, which is basically just a hugely de-stroked 2.38 stroke. Uh, small block Chevy with a four and eighth bore. That thing also ran with those ProBot 88s on it, on the, and on the dyno it made 2,600 horsepower wow. out of 255 or 6 inches. So it uh, it took forever to get them to spool up, but once they spooled up, they were, they were great. And uh, so it, 
uh, this shows you that you know boost is everything. That engine made about probably made about 500 horsepower without the turbos and picked up about 2,000 with them. And that's the thing that that's hard to to wrap your arms around because all these engines that we run the the various sizes and stuff. I think the LS engine made close to 700 uh, without the turbos on it. With the turbos on it, it made 2880. Wow. So there's there's over 2,000 horsepower that gets stacked onto the top of that. It's just amazing. And, uh, of course, with that 2,000 horsepower comes all the liabilities of making that much more horsepower. You know, you get cylinder pressures that are completely out of sight. Uh, you know, on... One of the things that I want, we need to back up a little bit on, Keith is talking about ring-in gap. Uh, I don't run a lot of ring-in gap. We, we, we look at the end of the ring now. We finally got around to doing that with a microscope. But it, even with the uh, gapless top, it's about 32 thousandths, maybe 34 thousandths on that big bore. And uh, never had any occasion of the, the, the rings actually contacting each other. You know, you'll... You look at a ring sometimes, and it looks like they've butted, but that's just because the ring was split right at that point. And don't you find that key to be kind of true if you're just looking at them from? Yeah, I, I agree, Kane. And, and it, yeah, it, you really have to get it up under a scope and look at it, and really look at how the file marks where it's been filed, how they're, you know, are they starting to flatten out and lay over? It's there are times where you can see it very predominantly and you know, it really jumps out at you, but most of the time you really got to look. One of the tricks that I personally have employed over the years is to, after I file the rings, and you'll laugh, folks, this really works, I'll come back in and paint them back down. Uh, you know, blue dike them, uh, machinist dike them, you put a dike them on there, a paint, uh, you'd be amazed. The stuff actually stays on there, and if you're not, really good at spotting whether a ring's buttered or not. If you paint the ends back down, when it comes back apart, oh, you're going to see it because it's going to wear right through that colorant, and you're going to see that silver spot where the other parts aren't. They're going to be colored still. So it, uh, it, it does help to make it easier to see if you're not really trained to look at it. So I, I agree with you completely. And it's also a testament that you've got the temperature under control because uh, there's, there's guys out there that, you know, in applications like Kenzie, when they're running 40 thousandths and still button it. So, again, we're back to that cooling. That really, yeah, obviously, you really got the temperature under control on that thing. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting, we don't have a radiator, but we have about uh, 18 gallons of water that, that we cycle through the engine. Wow. And uh, if it leaves the starting line at, say, 100 degrees, it'll be about 130, 135 degrees at the finish line. It really, it's you know, that, that much water and but it's only got a minute to get it all heated up because we oh, that old job is done in one minute and uh, the George never he never lifts the throttle when he puts it in gear off the push truck he goes wide open and it stays wide open till he clicks off the other end and uh, so it's you know it's not all 35 pounds of boost but it's it's a starts off at 14 or 15 and just gets gets ramped in based off of the wheel speed. But even so, it's still, uh, I don't think anybody would consciously put one on the dyno and try to replicate that, that run watching it on the dyno. I mean, you'd probably give up before <laughs> before the engine did, but it, <laughs> it, uh, I don't know about a one-minute pull. So. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's a little hard on the parts and a little hard on the dyno, and that's amazing water temperature numbers. That's incredible. I would have never have guessed that low of a number ever. That, again, is a, is a real testament to what you guys are doing. It's all about you got to move it. If you move it through the engine, that's 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 what it amounts to. You know, you remember the old theory was, you know, that you put a restrictor in to keep the water from going through too fast and all that. 
Mm-hmm. And they said, well, it couldn't pull the heat out. Well, you know, probably everybody subscribed to that for quite a while, but then when they figured out that that really wasn't the case, it just takes a lot of water moving around everywhere to eliminate hot spots. Uh, you know, heck, that, I mean, we've even, in years past, actually pressurized the cooling system with 15 or 20 pounds of pressure just to help move the water through the block. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Kenny, and, and from what I understand, this was a big record run, of course, uh, George Petit, owner-driver. Uh, there were some left on the table, right? Like, you guys didn't get exactly all of it. I, I heard or read there was a, you know, he's shifting by ear, and that is just was, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, there's it, always something to, to ruin, ruin your parade. You know, we're standing there on the starting line, sitting there idling. They've already given us the the push-off order, you know, so, boy, you want to run. And George is pointing at the dash and looking down at the dash, and there's a series of red lights uh, across the top of the dash, which is the shift light, basically. It's like a Formula One-style shift light. So all the shift lights are on, so I says, well, just tag the limiter, make a change, make your gear change. So he, he did. He hit the red limiter at 8,700 every pass, every every gear. But the problem was it's a pretty soft rev limiter, so it doesn't just abruptly stop the forward motion. So when we got back and downloaded the data, uh, 15 seconds of the 60-second pass was on the rev limiter. So a couple of those, I just looked at the at the distance from the time it started on the limiter to it went off the limiter. It was four-tenths of a mile. So during the during that portion of the run, we were basically flatlined on the acceleration rate. And uh, if you would have together the run he had before where he's shifting right at 8,000 within you know 50 rpms or so he looked like a pro stock driver uh, the that run would have probably been up eight or ten miles an hour so it's uh, that I anticipated the 480 in fact I I just figured we'd go 480 or maybe a couple of miles an hour over that but the, I didn't realize how easily it went 481 I mean that's a pretty remarkable when you look at it and uh, the rpm limit on the engine we don't know what it is because the camshaft is the same thing you'd run in a drag race car so it's probably good to 9,000 9,500 but uh, there's absolutely no incidences of buzzing it up in fact i'm not so sure but what that didn't make it run better than the previous run where we shifted at 8,000 so it, you know it's always there's always a little bit there's just that that little bit to entice you to come back and try uh, again and then you you know, you look at your traction control data, you look at where how long you're on the wheel spin and where it goes off and then what did you do about the boost? Well, it quit spinning the tire but we didn't we didn't put enough boost in it at that point to get it aggravated to spin the tire again. So uh when you combine all these elements, uh you know, it's it's conceivable the thing could go five hundred and uh the the whole thing is based on the race course you get handed because this year, the salt was actually in reasonably good condition, and when you can see rubber marks on the salt, that's when it's really good. So we could see some rubber marks out as the car is going out, and uh, if we could come back next year with a similar condition, then uh, if even if it doesn't go 500, it's going to go 495. So, and we and you kind of. You do this stuff enough and you get enough accumulated data, you can pretty much predict what the change is going to net you in terms of the speed. And uh, we're kind of in a fortunate position there where 
when we make the change, we kind of know what the number's going to be. And if it isn't there, we'll find the reason, and it'll be <laughs> who knows what. But it'll be there'll be a reason that didn't go as fast as we thought it would. The idea that you guys are able to rival or get near some of the turbine-driven streamliners, that's pretty amazing as a piston power guy. Uh, that's got <laughs> That's got to be pretty cool to be coming back on some of the speed records set down by the turbo cars. It is. You know, we, we kind of thought after they went as fast as they did that, you know, maybe that was just an unattainable thing to, to mess with. And then uh, we did realize that, the current record is 482 for the average, so we've got to pick up about 13 miles an hour on our average. And uh, the exit speed, the 503 exit speed, the turbine car's probably got a nod on that because, you know, it's uh, uh, just a whole different breed of cat. I mean, it doesn't. It really doesn't remind you of a piston engine package, but it is wheel driven, and that's all that counts. So, but it gives us something to shoot for, and. Uh, gives George another reason to be back next year, so that that's the good part of it. Yeah, Kenny, I was just going to hitch up. I mean, that's that's outstanding. Like you say, it brings you back. You know you left a little there or missed a little bit, so it brings you back. But, you know, kind of going to the nostalgia side of everything, I mean, you've been doing this forever. I mean, your name is synonymous with the turbo V6 Buicks and, you know, really helped herald that whole, bring that whole era of that engine in. And, you know, now we've got the LS engines out there today. And just... You know, I grew up in the day of the old draw-through or blow-through, you know, quadrajet and an old Ray J turbo. And, you know, if you didn't have the carb right, I mean, you watch the thing melt down. It's, it's just amazing what is capable today with electronic fuel injection and engine management. What, what do you see as the, you know, the, the big thing beside, you know, in that that's changed and, and the shortcomings? Because I, I see so many guys that are trying to build these things using, you know, stock pistons and rings and powdered metal connecting rods and, you know, some, you know, and wanting to get really big numbers, and you know, so just kind of your take on all that. Yeah, you know, it's really pretty simple. You know, if along the way, I think some I had some help getting my mind focused on cylinder pressure, and really, you know, you, cylinder pressure is what you're going to combat at the end of the day. You know, if, if, if a production engine's got 1,500 pounds of cylinder pressure, or NASCAR cars, you know, 1,700, 1,900-pound cylinder pressure, and a diesel might be 5,000. We don't know what they are. But we're we're pushing cylinder pressure as well over 3,000 pounds. So if you, if you know that going in, then you're, the first thing you're going to have to do is make sure that everything you put in the engine is capable of living in that environment for a while anyway. And then the next thing is to get a good fuel management system that can give you some pretty finite control on the spark and the, and the fuel and probably – more on the spark than anything because uh, you only have to have a misplaced spark one time that the, that those cylinder pressures and you'll bend a rod and uh, so it's you know it's kind of like you build your diesel engine but you run on alcohol and uh, it's uh, probably these guys are well I had a guy come by the shop the other day with a 5.3 junkyard motor he wanted to he's going to well, I put cam bearings in. He was going to put, put the pistons and rings back in that came out of the junkyard motor, and he was going to just open the top ring gap up because they've been told on the Internet that they need to be 30 thousandths or something, or they'll break the top of the piston. But, you know, I said, don't you kind of get tired of doing that? And he said, no, it's kind of fun. He said, we just go buy another junker and put it in there. So I guess, you know, it, if they're having fun doing that, then there's no problem with it. Uh, you can 
lean on that stuff pretty hard before it fails. But uh, I guess the, the the idea of it failing in a, in a streamliner at, say, 400-plus miles an hour and one in a drag race car at 130 or 40 or 50, the consequences can be quite a bit different. So you, you really don't want to have things blowing up if you can avoid it. Yeah, that's one of the uh, hallmarks of our Hidden Horsepower podcast. Keith is always shouting like, hey, just because it's on the Internet doesn't necessarily mean it's true or the right way to do it. And as you said that, Kenny, I thought about, well, what about the consequences associated with blowing up an engine? It's not necessarily just the engine is damaged. There's uh, oil. There's crashing into the wall there's who knows what could happen if you have an engine expire your example is extreme obviously out there at bonneville but um you know if you're going to do something do it the right way the first time and avoid that as fun as it might be to go to the junkyard and hunt yeah sometimes it's a a goal you know what what motivates you what's your goal even if your goal is just to go out and run and have fun that's one thing and there's plenty of reasons to do some of that stuff if uh if you're taking it to a a well-funded professional level you really can't leave anything on the table i mean you have to be looking at all things and you know you can't really equip either the dyno or the car with enough data acquisition i mean it's you know we we think we've got a lot but uh there's still some more stuff for us to look at i mean it's uh interesting little things like you know the temperature in the engine bay when it's all sealed up, is really not all that hot. But if you have any oil migrate out, you know, through a, well, like that burn piston or anything, the exhaust temperatures are up in the 1400 degree range at the end of the run, and the headers are literally yellow, and they're wrapped with an armor with a, with some white-looking stuff on the inside. I don't even know what the heck you'd call it, but it's a, a pretty good temperature abatement deal. But if there's one thing that that hot oil can hit, you'll have a fire. And once you get a fire going, uh, it starts burning up the wires right away and, you know, kind of ruins your day there. But we've figured out that we take the 40 gallons of water we've got between the intercooler and the radiator, or the cooling tower, and when he shuts the engine off, it automatically pumps or sprays that water all over the top of the engine. So when, it, when you take the body off, it looks like somebody's in there with a sprinkler system. But what that does is that that helps uh, abate some fires and stuff. I mean, we've actually had the water put a fire out where the fire extinguisher system didn't. So, um, and I'm not sure if the fire extinguisher system's ever been 100%, but the water system, pretty darn good. Well, I, well, I wanted to make a comment real quick. And Ken had talked about the young guys out there that, you know, they don't mind blowing them up. Well, I, I just wanted to touch on that because I, I hear the same thing. And I'll say about the only thing out there I'm interested in yanking the engine in and out of is maybe a dragster, because that's pretty straightforward. If any of you guys out there yank the engine out of a late model Mustang, this is not a lot of fun. Why would you want to do it more than once? <laughs> well, that's a project, yeah, absolutely. And uh... this, this, this is a lot of work, <laughs> yanking that in and out of there. But but with that said, what do you think about next year for you know for Bonneville, Ken? Uh, you got some more tricks up your sleeve? We've got yeah. Shane and I sat down and. We put our our list together. We invited the crew to submit little things they'd like to see, and then one of the smart ones was a, an engine stand because instead of rebuilding the engine on the floor of the trailer, we put it on an engine stand. But you know, it's always always something to add to the equation. But uh, 
there's a quite a few areas that we we know just from the from the data we look at, which uh, and I'll have to give Motec credit for the data because there is so much stuff that you can look at that it gives you a headache and and it takes you a while to sort through it. But once you've figured it all out, say, well, you know, we could if we did this, we could we could gain here, you know, and pretty soon you've compiled a list of things that that were really going to make the car faster. I mean, it's uh, it's it's just evolutionary and and to prep, put that in perspective uh, the first year we went 400 was with a uh, 297 inch small block and it went 401 that was probably about 2008 and every year after that we picked up uh, in fact uh, one of our small blocks a couple of years ago went 464 so basically picked up 63 miles an hour over the period of uh, well, 2008 to what 12 years, so we we really go back with a better plan every year, and it, and it shows. And just so, um, but we look at things like right now. What we're looking at more than anything is uh, is power management because power management is the whole key to the whole thing. Because you're on on a salt that's kind of abrasive but doesn't have a whole lot of grip. Uh, it uh, has a tire that's got 100 pounds of air in it that's got probably about three inches of tire on the ground, treadless. So wheel spin is your enemy, and uh, working your way around the wheel spin and getting this, getting control uh, is where we've gained so much over the years. I mean, the engines, other than the fact that we put bigger turbos on the same engines, you know, they're pretty much the same I think one or two of them still got the same camshaft we put in it probably 10 years ago. It's a five-mile drag race. You said it at the beginning. Very mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, Kenny, any final thoughts uh, about this project other than you've captured the imagination of so many people out there, and it's great to see uh, Bonneville headlines and record-breaking performances. This has been such a tough year for everybody. Uh, this was a great bit of news for uh, the people who are are following and interested in motorsports. Is there any other thought about uh, you know about George, about the Speed Demon, about the guys who worked on the project. As you look back on your accomplishment at Bonneville, well, one one thing for sure, uh, it is a huge team effort. We have Steve Maxwell and the group there at, uh, built the car. We've had uh, guys like Chuck Jenks, who's has a doctorate in I think aerodynamics or something. He's really well versed with stuff. He's been around NASCAR land for a long time. I think his current job is the uh, aerodynamicist on Haas's Formula One car. We have Danny Dreina, who's an engineer, chassis builder guy. Uh, works. I think his shop is located in uh, Indy at the track there. And then we have the Colesbeck brothers, Keith and Ken, Kenny. And uh, Kenny is a carbon fiber guy, and Keith works for uh, Hendricks Motorsports. And, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. You have... Uh, Chris Roski, who's been around me forever and uh, real ambitious, real go-getter, you know. So he's he's the bull in the china closet, and uh, but we've got all these guys, and there's way too many of them to mention that are all extremely good, and they all have a job, and they don't try to cross-pollinate on this stuff. I mean, the guy that's supposed to be packing the parachutes, he's not going to be in there trying to pull the cylinder head. 
And so once we got everybody sorted out and doing their jobs, then it becomes a, a pretty nice team effort. But there's no way that you could ever do it without the amount of people that we have there. I mean, it's uh, you might do it once, but you're not going to do it consistently. Kenny, at the end of each episode of Hidden Horsepower, Keith and I often talk about, you know, the next generation of engine builders. Where are they going to come from? Who are they? And that's part of the goal of this podcast. And Keith has had a lot reach out to him and say, hey, man, they take uh, they take great pleasure in hearing our guests give some piece of advice to the next generation. What would you say to someone who's kind of just getting into it uh, engine building as a trade or even as a hobby, uh, what is one or two little bits of advice that you would give to those folks as they set out? There's a couple of things that they really have to address. One of them is you can never get enough information, but today that is really pretty easy. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation, but there, there are magazines like uh, my favorite one is called Race Engine Technology out of England, and it's a little bit hard to understand for a novice but as you keep reading into it you get some you get some really good uh, information because they deal a lot with the very high-end part of the industry like the formula one stuff for example and the and, uh, NHRA drag racing and they've done some stuff on the Bonneville thing and then you know beyond that um, you really can't gain a lot of ground until you get hooked up with somebody in in, in the industry that is doing well if it's nothing more than hanging around their shop or working for them. But uh, it's such a long learning curve if you try to do it by yourself. So the um, you know, the thing that's just almost mandatory or, and or, I guess I should say, places like that Sam's Automotive Machine stuff, you know, where they can, they can go in and get a pretty good hands-on background and then move on from there. Uh, these are the kinds of things probably – those are probably the three things, you know, the work associated, um, the schools, and then uh, as much good good information as you can get, not off the Internet so much because I read some of those postings those guys will post, and, I mean, they're just guys that are bored and want to brag about nothing, I guess. But uh, the, uh, the main thing is uh, every every town probably has somebody that's, that – does some kind of performance stuff, and you know that's that's where they need to look. Uh, they may not want to make a career out of working for somebody, but they can sure learn a lot from them. Excellent, and it's funny. Several people have said uh, SamTech.edu is a good place to get a foundational education. We know those guys over there as well, and I think that is great. Keith, any final thoughts for Kenny before we let him go after this amazing episode of Hidden Horsepower? Yeah, well, just what? Yeah, what's it going to take to get you in the cockpit of that thing, Kenny? Nice. Oh, I really, I don't have any desire to do that. Um, it, in fact, I think I'm amazed that George does at his age. But uh, the drag racing is, you know, that's that's my my favorite of all the things, and I, I guess it's my second favorite now. But uh, you know, drag racing—you run a quarter of a mile, you got about a half mile to stop, you're back in the pits, and that one is a, took it took a couple of years to get me re-educated to the fact that nothing happens in a hurry, other than the car goes really fast. And uh, since George has about fifty some runs now, over four hundred miles an hour, it's unlikely we, we, that we'd ever put anybody else in that car. You know, just because of the experience it takes to to, to deal with those kinds of speeds. 
Yeah, a whole nother uh, episode right there, like living your life over 400 and experiencing things as they come at you at that speed. I can't even imagine, uh, you know, basically airliner speeds, but on the ground, crazy stuff. <laughs> Kenny, yeah, or like George said, that was just that run was just faster than the plane I flew in on. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> that's that's a great analogy. That is a, that is excellent. Right, you you flying coast to coast on uh, an airliner, and and he is going quicker in five miles at Bonneville. Kenny, thank you very much for spending time with Keith Jones and myself. Yeah, real quick before you go, Kenny, it, yeah. you know, we talked about getting in the cockpit. Um, this goes back, and, and it's one of those things. I had the opportunity to go up there in speedway streamliner years and years and years ago and it was offered to me it's like hey we'll run you through you know you put this run on and then we'll turn it up a little bit we'll put that run on and you know we'll turn it up a little bit and the long series we'll get you 200 mile an hour hat you know we'll you know we'll work you through the paces and 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 do all that stuff and that was gosh that's got to be 15 18 years ago now and you know at the time it was you know it comes back to the you know do it while it's in front of you uh, because I'm like, nah, I'm kind of busy this year, maybe next year. And, well, of course, next year never came. And so I will we'll say I missed my shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they, and they do put you through a driving test. You know, you got to run some more mundane speeds before they let you go wide open. And uh, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting because it, it'd be like if you were on a long freeway with nothing alongside the road to judge your speed by. So you really don't quite get the sensation of speed that you would that you would like in a drag race, for example. You know where you've got a car beside you, maybe or a, you know the walls beside you or something that that you can look at. But and those, so the, the speeds. I mean, I have to think probably 200 at Bonneville is is pretty much like a cruise down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. You know, so it uh, the runs last a little bit longer. Uh, three-mile course or a five-mile course, you know, and it's, so it's all interesting. But one little tidbit that you really get a kick out of, the amount of our, our total time in the fifth mile, I believe, was 7.47 seconds. What? Wow. So that, you know, you don't you normally don't hear a number like that. You know, how long does it take, you know, to, you know, a mile a minute? You know, well, <laughs> when you're in the middle seven-second range covering a mile, that just get, kind so of give you seven point four seven seconds for the, in the final mile. Wow! The first time I saw that number was uh, at an FIA meet we had years ago, and I think we had about a four sixty speed there, and it was about seven and eight tenths seconds in that mile. And I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. Nobody ever broke it down like that, and uh, so it it does. You know, I guess if you get sustained that, you hell, those guys could be in Salt Lake City in about twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, on that note, is that uh, yep. is that uh, the top secret what you just gave us? One thing about that whole deal, there's no secrets. If the guy bought the Hot Rod magazine last month's issue or the month previous issue, Marlon Davis had 11 pages on that thing, and it he didn't leave out anything. Even the cam card is there, and uh, <laughs> so there's, there's no proprietary information. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, and, and Marlon's a good writer. I just had to throw that in real quick. He's I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's a good guy. Yeah, he does. He does an excellent job. And I, I said, I did ask him. I said, Marlon, why'd you put the cam card in there? Well, he sent me the cam card. I said, I sent that so you could get the duration numbers off of it. I said, you know, the, there's nothing really weird about it other than the, the exhaust lobe on the camshaft is something that nobody has ran currently to date. But did, did it make a difference? I don't know. I mean, it might have been worse than the one we put on before. So, uh, but it, he's 
very detail oriented, so he got all the details in. I mean, it's uh, and and you know, and my wife asked me, says, well, why'd you tell everybody that? I said, well, Margie, that started two years ago. That's that's old news now. I mean, if we were to build that engine again today, would I build the same engine? And answer, no, it'd be a different engine. So, you know, it's everything is current at a point in time, but by the time it reaches the newsstands, it's not necessarily new news. Got it. Exactly. Got it. I, I wanted to throw it. It was like one of those. It's like, yeah, that's the cam that's in it. Wink, wink. Is that the cam you want the world to think that's in there, or do you want your competition to run? You know, it's like, yeah, that's the cam. It, it, it is the real deal. You know, I mean, it's. But you know, it it doesn't make it worse if if everybody has the same box of stuff to work out of. You see it all the time. You know, with identical vehicles and different drivers and different preparations and stuff there really is no two identical anything and uh, no. probably no two people would ever duplicate what they read yeah in, in its entirety yeah. makes sense kenny thank you very much for spending time with keith jones and myself very educational this episode has been you know very current a current story a big deal story the fact that total seal is involved that is just tremendous and we really appreciate the fact uh, that you shared a lot of the details of what went on behind the scenes with us I really appreciate you having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, we appreciate it, Kenny. Thanks for taking the time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, and you know we're right off of a you know a holiday weekend, which I remember you telling me you didn't even realize it was a holiday. You worked right through it. Yeah, you know you make progress when nobody's around. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Excellent, Kenny. Thank you so much. Congratulations on this thank milestone. You. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Kenny. Kenny Duttweiler with us here on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. Keith, that was incredible, considering the circumstances. This is a big story, and he just, like, laid it all out there for us. Yeah, Kenny's one of those guys. He's not He's not keeping secrets. I mean, maybe there's a little something here tucked away, but he'll pretty much tell you the way it is. This is what I've got. This is what we did. This is how we accomplished it. And he's he's a real straight shooter, and one of those kinds of guys, you can call him and ask him anything. For you guys to have your rings in there, that's uh, pretty amazing, keeping it sealed up, seeing that they burned a piston and were, lab- were able to keep the ring seal. What about these hoops that you did in lieu of an O-ring? Explain that. That actually sounded very interesting. Yeah, what we did with, you know, Kenny called me. It was a project a couple of years ago. They kept having problems, you know, couldn't keep the O-rings into the head. It, it just kept leaking. And we just started kind of talking about it. It's like, what if we build a solid you know, hoop, let's call it that way, uh, that's rectangular, not round, so it's got squared corners. You know, it's gonna, you're going to seal on the corner. You're, you're going to have an increased seal at the corner than you are over that radius, so it's no, less likely to leak. So we built a rectangular one-piece, you know, hoop or sealing ring that's going to go into the block and, of course, you know, receiving groove into the head, you know, dead soft or soft copper head gasket, and you work your way into it. Uh, we've actually built it for quite a few people. One of the guys in our shop, Rob, uh, he's got him in his turboed small block, unbelievable ring seal. Well, once Ken got that all together, I called him a couple weeks later. I said, how good was it, Ken? He said, you cost me a crank. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, it sealed the head so good it knocked the bottom end out of it. Wow. And and so basically uh, the shape, uh, I'm visualizing, uh, you know, similar to piston ring shape, but just a circle that is on the top and around the top of the piston for the gasket to uh, to mate to, as opposed to a O-ring, which is like very thin and narrow. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the typical you know, ceiling ring that would go in there would be a round wire uh, that you would kind of tamp into a receiving groove on the block. So sure. it's radius, it's, you know, it's round. Uh, what we created for him was rectangular, so it stood up tall, 
uh, in a rectangular shape, so you had nice squared corners, and you're going to have increased seal at the corner versus the radius. The radius is going to want the gases can slip around it. At the corner, you've got that intersection point, so you're, you're creating a high contact load point in those corners, and that's where the increased ring, you know, seal came from. Now, one of the things Kenny had mentioned earlier is with that style, you know, the, the, you know, the, the cutout in the block and the cutout in the head have to be really, really dead on. So we did some form where we actually did put an end gap in it. It allowed him to, to kind of file fit it, get them together, you know, made it easier to install and butt the ends up tight. And same thing, unbelievable increase in head gasket seal and easy install, no issues. Amazing stuff. And for people who are out there listening, thinking, man, I've got a project. It's maybe not trying to go 470 miles per hour both ways, or but uh, they want to get the best ring seal. You always tell them to give you a call. Why don't you give them that information? Yeah, absolutely. Reach out to me. Uh, you can always contact us through the website, totalseal.com, or you can call us at the toll-free 800 800- Eight seven four two seven five three. My extensions two zero three. But any of the people here that you know can help you out. Uh, they're sharp. We you know we're, we're we're enthusiasts. We love doing what we do. So we're all into this. And and if you can't get a hold of me, you can ask for Rye. You can get a hold of Kevin. You can get a hold of Bobby. Uh, Matt, he's here. I don't know if he's going to take your call. He's pretty busy running the show. Uh, but maybe reach out to Joe. He's learned a lot about piston rings. I, he, we're going to bring him up the ladder here. I have. I've learned so much. It's great for me and my uh, other gig uh, as an announcer at the NHRA. And might as well time stamp it. Congratulations to the Total Seal team getting to the final round of the U.S. Nationals. Didn't quite go all the way, but a really strong event. And for Matt to get to the final round, uh, that is a, a huge deal. So kudos to you guys. Congratulations on a good run. Of course, they would have loved to have won it but uh, making the final round of the big go that's tremendous it, it truly is i just got to interject i was so i was so happy for matt when i you know when i was kind of following on the internet and uh we'll just say i i, I wish my direct tv box and, and not hitting on direct tv it's all me uh would have made this the, the channel change uh, at the end of the first round so i didn't get the rest of it taped but i will tonight uh, but it was so great to, to see what he did. And, and kind of like Kenny said, you know, they left a little bit there. Uh, so they're going back again next year. They're going to get the next number. They're going to hit that 500. And I know that's what's going to happen for Matt at Indy. I, I was so proud of the team and all the people working so hard on that car. Uh, you know, they, they almost had it. So they're going to go there next year. And I know they're going to have it because these guys just keep getting better and better. Great job. Keith, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. He's Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal. I'm Joe Costello. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at WFO Joe. We love hearing your feedback at Total Seal's social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Hit up Keith Jones if you have any questions. Of course, if you're building an engine, call their toll-free number. Rate and review. Hidden horsepower. Amazing stuff. We've had so many great episodes, whether Tom Martino or Ed Pink, Jason Line, they're all there waiting for you. Different perspectives, different engine builders, and more podcasts to come. Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can hear it in so many places, and we really appreciate you guys. Check out Total Seal's brand new website as well. More great interviews coming with the best of the best when it comes to engine building. Have a great day, everybody. This is Hidden Horsepower.